um, easy way to transition this, but uh, I have my, I've titled my opening illustration. Um, yeah, Cabby, go ahead and take it over. It's uh, not working for me on this end, so um, I'll let you have the helm. Let me get to my sermon notes here. Um, I've entitled, uh, and I don't normally title, I suppose, my illustrations at the beginning, but I have titled this Tom Cruise and Jesus. <laughs> Give you... Uh, you might have guessed this already because I don't uh, give you very many sermon illustrations as movies. I'm just not a movie guy. Every so often we'll watch a movie. I find it to be just a waste of time. Um, that's, uh, that's for you. Um, I just don't have the time to watch movies, so I don't watch many of them. And our dear friend Michael Black used to get very annoyed at me. Because he, for a number of reasons, but I would get annoyed at him too, so we were, you know, even Steven. But he would suggest a movie scene for me to use as an illustration. And I would just confess to him with this look in my eye, like, I have no idea what movie you're talking about. And he would get so frustrated with me. It was just, you know, bless his heart. But um, by the way, Diane sends her greetings. I talked with her this last week, and she is doing well out in Minneapolis. But... So today, I have a movie illustration for you, okay? So last summer, on our vacation, our family went to see Top Gun Maverick. First one was in the 80s. This is the sequel. It's a good movie. Here's the IMDb description. After more than 30 years of service as one of the Navy's top aviators, Pete Maverick Mitchell is where he belongs, pushing the envelope as a courageous test pilot and dodging the advancement in rank that would ground him. Training a detachment of graduates for a special assignment, destroying an unsanctioned uranium enrichment, Maverick must confront the ghosts of his past and his deepest fears, culminating in a mission that demands the ultimate sacrifice from those who choose to fly it. Now, clearly, there are all kinds of issues and problems when you compare Tom Cruise with Jesus, okay? It's just not much of a comparison, but there's this one scene in the movie that just came to my mind this week as I was studying John chapter 13. Maverick is training these pilots to perform a very important mission but they just weren't getting it. They weren't brave enough. They weren't fast enough. They were intimidated by it. They were overwhelmed by it. They just weren't getting it. So they were all sitting around in this training room one time, one, on one particular scene, and they're just kind of trying to figure it out, and all of a sudden, kind of all their equipment tells them that there's an F-18 out on the training course that they're going through, and it's Tom Cruise or Maverick in his F-18 doing the training run. Come off the carrier, fly through the valley, all these twists and turns, all kinds of G-force. You come up over the mountaintop and then down into the valley and you, you send your missiles down there and blow up the bunker and then do a hard pull up out and you're avoiding the uh, surface-to-air missile batteries and he does it. They're, they're like overwhelmed, this old guy can do that. He did it exactly the way it was supposed to be done. Now here's the point. Before he retires, he had to show his students that it could be done and how to do it. So before Jesus goes to be with the Father, he has to show his disciples how to do it. Not fly a plane, mind you. Um, flying an F-18 is probably easy compared to what the disciples had to do. But Jesus was preparing them to change the world. In chapters 13 to 17, probably one of my favorite chunks of Scripture is Jesus giving instructions to 
his disciples as he gets ready to leave. He's headed to the cross. He has some really important instructions, and he begins this section in a way that you and I probably wouldn't expect, and certainly what the world wouldn't expect. So let's jump right into it. And we're going to look at chapter 13, verses 1 to 17 today. And what we're going to do is look first, kind of through the whole thing, and look at six truths about Jesus, because John is always teaching us about Jesus. And then they're kind of one-word statements, they're verbs. Then we're going to come back through and take just a brief look at the role of a couple of disciples, specifically Judas and Peter. And then we're going to finish with several questions for you and for me on what this might have to do with all of us. So John 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the who? To the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Two things about Jesus. They're not going to surprise you. Number one is that Jesus obeys. This is the vertical part of this. He was on a mission for the Father. I want you to stop and think about this. We don't really process this this way, at least I don't very often. But picture Jesus as a baby. It wasn't too long ago. We, we celebrated Christmas. We celebrate that. And he, he grows up into a young man. Luke 2 tells us that he, he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. So he was a little boy, and he's growing. And at 12, he was hanging out in the temple and, and talking with the um, different teachers, and he's learning, he's growing. And you wonder, as he's talking to the Father and the Holy Spirit's working in his life, at what point in time, how does he begin to understand what his mission is? But it wasn't, he, I don't, he didn't understand as a baby because his human mind wasn't comprehending all that. But then he grew into it and he probably at some point in time realized, whoa, I'm on a mission here. I, I'm, I'm headed this direction. I'm the savior of the world. I'm gonna die for the sins of the world. And thankfully along the way, hopefully the father said to him, well, yeah, you're gonna rise from the dead too because he knew all of that. But there's still this humanity and deity piece of all this. He was on mission for the father. He also, and he was faithful to that mission, and John wants us to see that, so we see that Jesus obeys. But it's not just the vertical relationship, it's also the horizontal relationship in that Jesus loves. He loves his disciples. He calls them his own. You're gonna see that fleshed out in a powerful way in these thir chapters 13 to 17. He's in a relationship with them. He's been living with these guys for three years, traveling around, maybe they're staying at the inn or, or maybe they're, they're camping. He's teaching them, they're ministering together. It's all this, this life together. And that's probably what makes this next part hard. Look at chapter two. I'm sorry, verse two. During supper... When the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So here's the devil saying, hey, hey Judas, you, you want a little more money? I got an opportunity for you. We'll turn in Jesus and get a little more money. You, you, it just, you could see that though, his, his mind probably going, and he doesn't care about Jesus and the truth about Jesus. He cares about himself and what he wants. Verse 3, Jesus, is it, watch verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, kind of a big statement, right? And that he had come from God, big statement. He was going back to God, big statement. Beginning of verse 4, he rose from supper. I just think that's kind of an overwhelming, like all this doctrinal truth and he gets up from the table. Well, what's going on? He says there's actually a point behind this. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. 
Then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Let's talk about feet for a moment. Let's talk about dirty feet. Now, we have that LVP stuff in our house at home, and we're pretty good about sweeping and mopping. I mean, at least once a week, our our floor gets mopped. But it's still not a good idea to wear white socks around our house because it it, it gets gross. Now, if, if a mopped floor will still give you dirty socks, can you imagine sandaled feet back then without concrete, without asphalt, and animals everywhere and what animals do in the streets. I mean, it's just gross. So when you go into our house, it's kind of a rule. I mean, you know, you can't, you're not allowed in if you don't take your shoes off. It's just kind of a rule, okay? Back then, that was basically a rule too. But what would happen is you'd come in and the servant would take off your sandals and wash your feet before you could enter the main room. That's just what it was. Um, It was gross. But it was the job of a servant to wash their feet. It was a very common practice. Who's doing the washing here? It's Jesus. We're going to see that. That was the role of a servant, and Jesus wants them to learn an important lesson before he leaves. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, no, 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 no. Lord, do you, oh, wait, no, I'm jumping in at myself. It's a question first. He says, Lord, you, you're going to wash my feet? Do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter says to him, no, you're you're never going to wash my feet, Jesus. Jesus answered him, if I don't wash you, then I have no share, you have no share with me, meaning you're not one of my own. So Simon says, okay, fine, fine, okay? Not just my feet, Jesus. Why don't you wash my hands? And my head too. Like, like just give it to me. Oh, I, I want all of you. Jesus says to him, no, here, hang on. The one who has bathed, got a shower, you got one yesterday, does not need to wash, except for his feet. That's always, need, feet always need washing. But is completely clean. You're clean, but not every one of you. Where is Jesus' mind going? For he knew who was to betray him. And that's why he said, not all of you are clean. Two things we see about Jesus here. The big one, Jesus serves. Jesus serves. In Isaiah 53, Jesus is called the suffering servant. Matthew and Mark tell us that Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. In Luke 22, Jesus says, I am among you as the one who serves. Paul tells the Philippians that Jesus emptied himself and took the form of a servant. Jesus is the creator and the sustainer of life. Yes, he's the one who will come back one day and destroy his enemies, but scripture clearly teaches that Jesus loves his people so much that he will serve them. And this is the picture that we're supposed to have in scripture. But why? Here's another truth. Jesus grieves. Now, we're not gonna spend much time on this one today, But I I do want you to see it, and then it's going to lead into our discussion next week. Remember in chapter 11, uh, after Lazarus died, in fact, in John 11, verse 33, it says, when Jesus saw her, being Mary, weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply what? 
he was moved in his spirit and greatly, what's that word there? Troubled. He was greatly troubled. He said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? Now last week, we were in John 12, verse 27, Jesus says, now is my soul what? Troubled. He's troubled again. Why is he troubled here? He's troubled because now his hour has come and he's headed toward the cross and there's just something unsettling in his soul like, I'm going to go die. But he says, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it's for this purpose. I have come to this hour. But he's troubled. Next week, we're going to see this verse, chapter 13, verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus was what? Troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. John 11, John 12, John 13, Jesus is troubled. We believe that Jesus is deity and humanity, fully God, fully man. This hurt. Betrayal hurts. It hurt him to see Mary weeping. It hurt him to think that he was going off to die on the cross. It hurt him that he was being betrayed by one of his own. And John wants us to see that. John wants us to see that Jesus isn't just some untouchable person out there, but that he grieves. He obeys, he loves, he serves, and he grieves. Let's read 12 to 17 now. So when he'd washed her feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, you almost wonder if it was just silent in the room as he walked from, as he knelt down from disciple to disciple to disciple. Do you understand what I've done to you, he said to them? You call me teacher, you call me Lord, you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also, what's the next word there? Ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Imagine their reactions. Wait, what's he, what's he thinking? Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. It's like if you want to be like your master, well, then you, do, you need to do what your master says. If you know these things, blessed are you if you what? You do them. Two more truths about Jesus. One, that he instructs. Jesus said, I just washed your feet to show you what you're supposed to do to each other. I'm instructing you to do this. It's a command, ought to. I'm your teacher, I'm your Lord, I'm telling you what to do. That should be enough. So one of the things that we will occasionally purchase at home is a can of whipped cream. We're more of the type that that doesn't last very long in our house, so we'll get the big tub of it. But uh, we also have a rule in our house. It, it's a rule, but it doesn't always get obeyed. Is You're not allowed to go open the fridge and pull out the milk, the orange juice, or the pop, or whatever happens to be in there, and take a chug of it and put the lid back on and put it back in. Okay, Parents, that, you, know, you don't agree with me? Okay, that's kind of a rule, especially with the whipped cream. Okay, so yesterday, this weekend, we had five extra little girls over on Friday night for Sophia's birthday party. 
praise the Lord for noise-canceling headphones. That, uh, that helps you get to sleep, so that was good. But the next morning, fix some breakfast, pancakes, whipped cream, and strawberries. Good breakfast. We still had a can left, because they come in two cans at Costco or whatever. So uh, last night, after dinner, I'm sitting at the table, and the man is over by the coffee pot area, and Sophia's in there, and mom gets the whipped cream out to make, put in her coffee, and she kind of turns around and does one of these <sighs> kind of things with it, and Sophie's like, Mom, you tell us all the time we're not supposed to do that, and without batting an eyelash, mom turns around and says, do what I say, not what I do. <laughs> we don't always say that, but that fit in that particular case, so in this particular situation, I'm glad that Jesus isn't like Amanda or the rest of us who do that, okay? Because number two, Jesus models. He not only tells them what to do, he does it himself. He showed them how to do it. It wasn't just words. He put it into action, a 3D effect. Now, don't brush over this. This is a big deal. John wants us to see what is important to Jesus, and that is to serve one another. This is so contrary to the world we live in. We want everyone to serve us. I can't tell you how many complaints I've heard about how bad customer service is these days. You just can't find good service anywhere. We expect good service. No tip for you. I mean, imagine the CEO or a vice president of a company being a servant. It's not, people aren't, that's not what they're known for. I mean, you'd think a politician would think like a servant, right? <laughs> no. The higher you go up in power, the more you expect to be served. And here's the guy who's at the top of the org chart, and he's serving everyone. He wants us to see that. Some great reminders about Jesus. He obeys the vertical, loves horizontal. He serves, he grieves, he instructs, he models. Now let's real quickly go back through and look at Judas and Peter just for a moment. We go to verse two. During supper when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to do what? To betray him. We jump down to verse 11. For he knew who was to what? Betray him. And that's why he said, not all of you are clean. So Judas betrays. Judas betrays. Note this, because it's here in the text, but we're going to see it again next week. We're going to unpack this conversation a little bit more, so we'll move on from that one. Let's go back through verses 6 through 10 and just kind of uh, look at this from Peter's perspective, okay? He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Like, are you really, seriously, you're going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you do not what? Understand now but afterward, you will understand. And Peter said to him, no, 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 you shall never wash my feet, Jesus. Peter answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Like, we're, you're not on my team then. And Simon Peter said to him, okay, Lord, don't just wash my feet only. Wash my hands too and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, yeah, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. What would Peter do? Let's just use the word he misunderstands. But why did he misunderstand? I think there's some immaturity there, some ignorance, dare I say some pride, some lack of teachability. 
Now, John wants us to see this exchange here. Now, we don't have a record of this anywhere, and this is just completely in Dan's imagination, but I can picture John handing Peter his gospel and saying, hey, would you read this over and tell me what you think of it? And Peter's flipping through it or scrolling through it, and he says, come on, bro. Did, did you have to put that in there? I mean, seriously, you're always making me look like an idiot. And then John probably responds with a shrug and says, well, the sandal fits, and it's the way it's going to be. Peter's a knucklehead, but his little interaction here with Jesus is a lesson for us. And so I have a question for you based upon Jesus' interaction with Peter. What do you need to let Jesus wash? Are you letting Jesus serve you? Are you letting Jesus wash you, cleanse you, get all that crap off of you, that sin crap? Too often, we have areas of our lives that we think are too gross or too big for God to forgive. It's just too much. Why would I bring that to him? It's too awful to bring it to him. I want you to wrestle with that for a moment. When, when our sin is too big for God, what are we saying about God? It's not enough. He's not big enough to deal with all your stuff. And my friends, in the, great, in the words of the great theologian Elsa, let it go. <laughs> let Jesus... Tried to say it with a straight face. <laughs> Couldn't do it either service. Let it go. Let Jesus wash your feet. There's no shame. He removes all that. Let Jesus do in you what he wants to do. Don't be hesitant like Peter. If it's pride, repent. If it's ignorance about Jesus and what he wants to do, well, I'm here today to give you the word of God which causes your ignorance to go away. The more we get about Jesus, the more we understand, hey, I can bring it to him. No more excuses. Let Jesus wash you. We were having discussion in between service today and truth is sometimes it's easier to bring it to God than it is to people though. So wrestle with that. Maybe, um, maybe washing each other's feet can help with that. Because we all have some gross feet. Jesus, uh, or Paul, talks about what Jesus did in Titus 3. He says, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. It's not what we do. But it's according to his own mercy by the, the washing of regeneration and the, the renewal of the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful picture there. So one more application question for you. Jesus says in verse 14, if I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. And down in verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them, put them into action. So I ask you, whom do you need to serve? Whom do you need to serve this week? We don't wash people's feet much anymore, unless you get a mani-pedi, I guess. But the reality is there's all kinds of ways we can serve each other, isn't it? They're not very pleasant things sometimes, the way that God is calling us to serve one another. It could be family members, our spouses, 
our children, our parents, our neighbors, our coworkers, that guy over there in that cubicle over there, really? How am I supposed to wash his feet? I don't know. But it's the, it's the attitude of a servant. Last night we're sitting around the living room and uh, Jacob comes home from McDonald's. He's working at McDonald's now, so always comes in with his mocha frappe and like we all want a drink of it and take a drink and pass around germs. But uh, he sits down and we're talking and uh, he's, he's enjoying it, but you don't make a lot of McDonald's, let's put it that way. So we're kind of talking about money and we said, well, why don't you go work at Chick-fil-A? <laughs> and he says, no, I'm not nice enough to work at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> My pleasure. You know, it just, it wouldn't work. He just, it would, he says, Caden's perfect for it. So not, uh, not him. And in some ways, that's, that's how many of us feel, isn't it? I'm not nice enough to wash anybody's feet. I'm not nice enough to serve somebody. Jesus did it. And he says, I'm an example. Like, I'm, I'm modeling this for you. So I'm asking you and me, who do you need to serve? Who, who is it you're resisting serving? There's that one person coming to mind that you're like, I don't want to do that. Who's your one another? So what do you need to let Jesus wash in your life? And what do you need to serve this week? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to close. Um, there's been a, a discussion recently about... Uh, um, someone asked, uh, multiple people have asked why I don't do what was a, a traditional altar call. And uh, I wanted to explain for just a moment why I don't do that. Um, I don't believe this is an altar, okay? I don't believe biblically that um, there is an altar anymore. I think Jesus um, was put on the cross and that was the ultimate sacrifice and it's done and over with. It doesn't mean it's bad to use that, that imagery once in a while. The other thing that I'm real careful about is that I grew up in an environment where a lot of uh, decisions in church were so emotional that they didn't stick because it's easy to get emotional and then you, you walk away from that. And I believe that if you're going to follow Jesus, it's a, it's a commitment not just with emotions, but your heart, soul, mind, strength, and everything. But uh, all that to say, we're going to sing the song that says, come to the altar. And so uh, it's a, it's a Great song. And it's a picture of saying, you know what? I'm going to give everything to Jesus. And I, and I just challenge you this morning. Um, let's not be resistant like Peter. Jesus, wash my feet. Jesus, take care of me. Jesus, I, I give it all to you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite you to take communion. Um, for those of you that, that need gluten crackers, we've got them right in the middle today. We're kind of moving things around uh, to make it a little easier and a little simpler. But uh, I'm just going to invite you, and, and then you're going to take communion on your own today. Um, we're not going to take it as a whole group, just you on your own. But let me say a prayer, and then uh, I'll invite you to the table, and then we'll sing this song as, uh, as a prayer to the Lord. Father, we thank you that John records all these stories for us about Jesus. And this is a simple story. Our children could understand this. The great, almighty, holy God of the universe 
pulls out a basin of water and a towel and washes some dirty feet as a way to say, I love you. As a way to say, I want you to love each other and care for each other. And so God, help us with that. Help us to serve one another. Help us to get past some of those masks and barriers and, and be willing to, to let others into our lives. And, and as, they let, uh, as we let them in and they let us in, we can serve each other and, and deal with some of the difficult life situations that we're facing. And Lord, I'm also praying for those in this room that just have a struggle giving you everything. And just laying it down and saying, God, I, I, I guess I'm just going to give you everything. God, help them. May they know how big and great you are, but also how kind and loving and full of grace you are. Please, Father, 